St. Anne's Orthodox Church presents In Heaven and on Earth, recordings of the classes, talks, and retreats given by Father Daniel Greeson, priest at St. Anne's Orthodox Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Here is Father Daniel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who loves men, kind of the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to an understanding of your gospel teachings, and plant also in us the fear of your blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto you. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and unto you do we ascribe glory, together with your Father, who is from everlasting, and your all-holy good and life-creating spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Last week we discussed... Uh, the kiss of, I would say the two main actions that we discussed was the kiss of peace and then the confession or singing of the creed. And one of the things I was trying to underline was the importance of unity and truth in the Orthodox Church. And that our unity that we have in the church is based in the triune God and belief in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that we confess this particular God who's been revealed specifically in Jesus Christ uh, who is from Israel. And so we have the whole history of the Old Testament coming to fruition, the promise of God from the Old Testament coming to fruition in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, so in many ways, the creed, uh, the kiss of peace, the creed, and then now we're moving into the section of the anaphora, uh, which is the basically the uh, consecration of the gifts or the uh, the the source of why we would call the Eucharist, as you can see uh, in the prayers that we're going to read in just a moment. Um, you can see, going back, why I was trying to start everything with blessed is the kingdom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and spent some time there, because all of this is still the basic framework, obviously, of what the church's faith is, uh, what the church confesses, what the church believes itself to be, as uh, being uh, the kingdom of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the creed uh, is basically our kind of map for belief in what we uh, hold at the core of our faith. Um, they're basically the three articles of the creed, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and a lot of the things of the, uh, like the forgiveness of sins, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, uh, all those falling under the Holy Spirit. Um, we gather together now uh, for the kiss of, you have the kiss of peace, you have the confession of faith, and now uh, as soon as the creed ends, uh, we will have uh, the deacon, which we will have a deacon, Lord willing. This week is the week where the synod meets, so hopefully we will have a blessing to have ordination. Uh, the deacon will stand before the royal doors, and he will say, let us stand aright, let us stand with fear, let us attend that we may offer the holy oblation in peace. The people then respond, a mercy of peace, a sacrifice of praise. Why does the deacon ask us here with three kind of affirmations? I don't know if there's any other places that I can think of in the liturgy, actually, where there's... Uh, this kind of, this much, there's a lot of places where we say, hey, guys, wake up. <laughs> uh, wisdom, right? Stand up. Uh, pay attention. Let us attend. Uh, we do that often. 
But here, you can tell there's a particular, I don't know if I would say the word urgency, but there's a particular uh, strength in the commands here. Why this much attention to this, or why this repetition here? Any stab at a, an answer will do. Because of maybe what you just said, no, uh, what did I of just like say? following the creed, uh -huh. um, does it have to do with that? So right before we say the creed, we say that the doors, the doors, and wisdom loves attend, and then we sing the creed, and now we're transitioning into the anaphora, and then the anaphora is the offering up of thanksgiving and the consecration of the gifts. So we're basically, if you were to kind of think of the liturgy almost like the outline of the temple, now we are, and this is even the, the clergy back historically the day, if they weren't at the altar, uh, even uh, post-gospel reading, they have now been standing on their altar for a little bit, and now it's like we are metaphorically moving into the Holy of Holies. So there oh. is a, a sense in which now we're like going deeper in further up the mountain, uh, whichever metaphor <laughs> you would like to move, uh, use here. Uh, there is, I think, a particular strength here because of exactly what we're about to embark upon. Uh, let us stand aright. Uh, let us stand with fear. Let us attend. There's actually a, um, a pious... Uh, belief here that this, and I don't know where exactly this comes from, but I've read it in different places, uh, that this is actually the words uh, that the Archangel Michael basically gave to the other uh, angels uh, in their like fight with Satan or something. Just, there's the, they give this kind of angelic interpretation of this uh, kind of now we're really going to get in, uh, to business. Um, what is what do you think it means with this let's stand right let's stand with fear let's attend that we may offer the holy oblation in peace it's one of the themes you can almost do an entire uh essay or talk just from one of the words from that line not oblation but in peace. What is the what is the first litany of the entire liturgy? In peace. Almost every litany we say again and again, in peace let us pray to the Lord. It's fascinating how often we say the word peace, actually. And even then uh, every time the priest comes out of the altar to give a blessing, it's peace be with you all. Uh, we have underlined through this throughout the liturgy, but especially here, that offering the Holy Oblation is something that has to be done in peace. What does it mean for here to, do, to offer it in peace? Uh, just backing up, so the Holy yep. Oblation, that's the, the gift? The Holy Offering. The, the bread and the wine. Uh, it's not. It's it is the holy oblation is actually Christ. Okay. Who will be presented through the bread and wine as it's transformed into His once for all oblation or offering to the Father. 
But yes, it is the friend line. But more importantly, what the whole action and movement is, is the, the uh, confluence, the transformation of these gifts into the gift, the sacrifice, the offering to the Father. So is this our, is this our piece or is this and is the this, piece of Christ? Yeah. Is this, what, what do you think? And is it our offering? I mean, this whole thing is way oh, beyond us. Oh, hey now. I like that. <laughs> is it our offering? Let's, let's uh, put note that and come back to that. Okay. Yeah. Well, the only thing I was going to say is fear and peace seem to... It, it, that strikes me as like opposites, right? That fear and peace yeah. are opposites, yeah. so it's interesting that they're put together. They're put together. So what, what do you think they mean by let us, attend, uh, let us stand with fear? I guess I always heard in evangelical circles that when you hear fear, it really means awe. But I don't know if that's true. That is that is awfully true. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm a dad. I can't help it. <laughs> Especially as my kids. Well, they're not close to being teenagers yet. They're going to hate me. Uh, so what? So let's go back to the why. Fear and peace are not obviously against each other, right? Fear, we we stand in awe. We stand upright. We're paying attention and that we may offer the holy oblation of peace. So to kind of give a hint, um, we offer everything that has been given to us. Uh, So we're going to offer the holy oblation in peace, uh, but there's nothing really about that oblation as something that God has not already gifted to us and is offering through us to himself. Uh, that is a, oh, come on, don't die on me. There we go. What do the people then say after we have this encouragement to offer the holy, holy oblation and peace? A mercy of peace, a sacrifice of praise. Have you ever wondered what a mercy of peace is? No. No? Never thought about it. So tell me what a mercy of peace is. No idea. Peace granted mercifully. Peace granted mercifully. I like that. So there is. This is actually. Do you know how much ink has been spilt upon this particular <laughs> thing by scholarship? A lot. Uh, mostly because there seems to be a few strands of manuscripts about this. Such because in the Greek, if I'm remembering all of this correctly. In the Greek, the word there, if you like transpose some vowels, you actually end up with saying, instead of mercy, you say olive oil. Mm. So I don't know about an olive oil of peace, but apparently there was some transposition and the, the, the Slavonic uh, grabbed onto it. Uh, so the suggested I've seen is the best way to describe it. And then I'm actually going to read uh, the best explanation that I've come across exactly about this is that it should read. Mercy, comma, peace, comma, a sacrifice of praise. Or mercy and peace, a sacrifice of praise. Something along those lines that we get rid of this, a mercy of peace. Uh, Father Thomas Hopko, who I say his name pretty often, he writes about this. The holy oblation is Christ, the Son of God who has become the Son of Man in order to offer himself to his Father for the life of the world. In his own person, Jesus is the perfect peace offering, 
which alone brings God's reconciling mercy. This is undoubtedly the meaning of the expression of mercy at peace, which has been a source of confusion for people over the years in all liturgical languages. We just covered that. In addition to being the perfect peace offering, Jesus is also the only adequate sacrifice of praise that men can offer to God. There is nothing comparable in men to the graciousness of God. There is nothing with which men can worthily thank and praise the Creator. This is so even if men would not be sinners. Thus God himself provides men with their own most perfect sacrifice of praise. The Son of God becomes genuinely human so that human persons could have their own nature sufficiently adequate to the holiness and graciousness of God. Again, this is Christ, the sacrifice of praise. What you will find, and this flows even into the next uh, Trinitarian uh, greeting of the priest, is that the entire anaphora is, uh, while we're talking about us offering it, we're enacting this, this is entirely the movement of God. I mean, on one hand, on a very basic level, us being here gathered together, we gathered together for the synoxis, God brought us here to do this act. He uh, offers, he has not only uh, assembled us, he uh, has not only baptized, brought us into his body. Now he is offering for us the holy oblation, uh, a mercy of peace, uh, mercy, peace, and a sacrifice of praise all the things that are Jesus Christ. And then this greeting that we have of the priest who is coming out of the altar at this point, right? Because he will do uh, the blessing uh, while he says this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Is there anything about this? On one hand, it's kind of like, yeah, right. <laughs> But is there anything odd, actually, about this Trinitarian blessing? You usually say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why are we saying Jesus first? He's the Holy Oblation. We are able to even do any of this because of Jesus Christ. Obviously, he is the, the, I would say the crux of this, or the, the turning point of this whole, is that as he is the holy oblation, he's the merciful peace, or the mercy of peace, or the mercy, comma, peace, the sacrifice of praise. Uh, it is because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came and became one of us, died for us, the whole economy, go back to the creed, right? The whole economy, or the working of salvation, has come... Uh, Primar not, I don't want to say primarily, but he is the locus of revelation to us of God. So, of course, then, that is the, his, his grace, then is the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is actually also a, uh, this is, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians 3.13 or something. This is a quote from Scripture. I just can't remember the specific uh, chapter and verse. So this is a biblical um, way of talking that we now have uh, put into the very beginning, the preface of the anaphora, grounding the entire movement of this anaphora, of this thanksgiving uh, in Jesus Christ. 
you have uh, Father Alexander Schmemann commenting on this. Let's see here. Christian faith begins with the encounter with Christ, with the reception of him as the Son of God, who manifests the Father and his love to us. This acceptance of the Son, this union in him with the Father, is fulfilled as salvation, as the new life, as the kingdom of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit, which is the divine life itself, divine love itself, communion with God. And thus the Eucharist is also the sacrament of our access to God and knowledge of him and union with him. Being offered in the Son, it is offered to the Father. Being offered to the Father, it is fulfilled in the partaking of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see here in the anaphora the act, the Trinitarian nature of the act of the consecration. And therefore the Eucharist is the eternally living and life-creating source of the Church's knowledge of the Most Holy Trinity. There's one thing about the Orthodox liturgy, I would say Orthodox, because I don't really like the word spirituality, but it'll do. (laughs) Uh, Orthodox spirituality is that you're always, you're never going to talk about God in the generic sense. You will always be talking about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the ways in which Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operate and work together uh, to uh, save us, to heal us, to enlighten us. there's always going to be this framework, and it's through every sacrament uh, that we see this. Any questions so far? Let's go ahead and finish at least the preface for now. <laughs> uh, after this Trinitarian uh, blessing from the priest, the, the people, uh, as always with any of the blessings of the priest, say, with your spirit, the priest says, let us lift up our hearts we lift them up unto the Lord. And the priest says, let us give thanks unto the Lord. And the people respond, it is meet and right to worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity, one in essence, and undivided. This uh, core of the beginning of the anaphora is, I believe, it's solidly um, in the Roman uh, canon, uh, such that if you were in a Lutheran church, or if you were in an Anglican context, Everyone has the, if I'm remembering the Latin correctly, the sorsum cordum, the, the lifting up of the hearts. Like, this is one of the ancient, like, all of early Christianity liturgically has this embedded somewhere in the beginning of the consecration of the gifts. Um, but what, is that, what does it mean that we lift up our hearts? What would they be talking about? They, the fathers of the church. Jeff is cracking up back I'm there. I'm imagining my 3,500-seat auditorium, Southern Baptist, and, us, and everybody holding up their hands. Right. Saying, well, know, the priest holds up his hands at this so, part. I do. Let's, yeah, yeah, so let's lift up I, our hearts. I know it's not that. It's not the, the, the whole The lifting up of the hands in yeah. is a very ancient Christian Oran's position. If you go in the catacombs, you will see the hands up. Uh, you will see this especially with the Theotokos and a lot of early icons. Uh, so it's a very ancient uh, practice to do this. That's even at the beginning of the liturgy, right? The priest has his hands up, uh, welcoming uh, God. I guess what I'm saying is it was an emotional experience. Right. So we're not obviously talking about everybody start crying now or something, but we're talking about something that's rooted deeply in the scripture actually here, uh, in the Pauline epistles specifically. 
Um, if you read Colossians 3 or Ephesians 2, the language is similar, uh, but Paul writes, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Ephesians has similar language to this. Um, this is uh, the core aspect, again, that we've been talking about, right? We're kind of constantly uh, ascending in the liturgy. And this is one of those particular, uh, I don't want to say commands, but basically command to lift up your hearts that we're now, if we've already, like the true became, we're going to lay aside all earthly cares. We're now, the, our hearts need to be lifted on high to where Christ is sitting. Is that like offering yourself in your heart? Yeah, I think it is a certain sense of our hearts uh, attending to its true love and true desire and affirming that our hearts need to be beyond. I think the true became gives us a little bit more like uh, specific things that we need to put aside all the things that we're always attending to, worried about, and all of that to be able to focus on the one thing necessary uh, that is before us. Um, and I think there's something about the whole act of kind of lifting uh, that we have no earthly mindedness, that our minds are striving to um, be purified, uh, to be adorned only with love for God and not for things of this earth, the flesh, as Paul would talk about it. There's a warning from Chrysostom actually here in one of his homilies about uh, we need to lift up our hearts lest we stay on earth. <laughs> He's very much, we need to beware of coming and kind of mindlessly offering the sacrifice. Uh, he, uh, this underlines that the sacrament of the Lord's coming is also, uh, as we've talked a little bit at the very beginning about the discernment of receiving communion, um, that there was particular uh, preparation needed uh, when Israel was gathered at the uh, bottom of the mountain, that there need to be preparation for the reception of communion, uh, such that there is in Paul that he talks about rightly discerning uh, the body, uh, that the sacrament of the Lord's coming can also become the sacrament of judgment. Again, the, res the response of the people, it is meet and right to worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, journey one in essence and undivided. Uh, you then have kind of mirrored here as we begin the first major prayer of the priest that is read aloud. So I'm going to go ahead and read this out loud. And as I'm reading this, you're probably very used to hearing this prayer now, right? This is at the core of uh, our faith and of the divine liturgy. Uh, but I'd like us to be able, as we're reading this, to not... You can read it prayerfully, but also try to read it with your mind, like thinking about how this is structured and what it's saying. Maybe you're able to do those things together. Congratulations. You're better than me. Uh, uh, it is meet and right to sing to thee, to bless thee, to praise thee, to give thanks to thee, and to worship thee in every place of thy dominion. For thou art God, ineffable, inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible, ever existing, and eternally the same. Thou and thine only begotten Son and thy Holy Spirit. Thou it was who brought us from non-existence into being, and when we had fallen away, didst raise us up again, 
and didst not cease to do all things until thou hadst brought us up to heaven, and hadst endowed us with thy kingdom which is to come. For all these things we give thanks to thee, and to thine only begotten Son, and to thy Holy Spirit. For all things of which we know and of which we know not, whether manifest or unseen, and we thank thee for this liturgy which thou hast found worthy to accept at our hands, though there stand by thee thousands of archangels and hosts of angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, six-winged and the many-eyed, who swore aloft born in their pinions, singing the triumphant hymn, shouting, proclaiming, and saying. Isn't that where you do the tap, tap, tap? That is where I do the tap, tap, tap. <laughs> we'll talk about the tap, tap, tap at the end of... What kind of structure do you see in this prayer? A creed. The creed. Expand that for me a little bit. The, I don't know, it just seems to... The, it flows. Uh, it does flow, yeah, absolutely. It flows. There's a very particular flow here. We have first a, an expression that it is... What, what does meet and write mean? This is old English. This is not what I would never say. Well, I do jokingly say meet and write sometimes, but in reference to the fact that I don't actually use this kind of language in normal life. What does it mean that it is meet and write? Proper. It is proper. Uh, it is fitting. Uh, it is fitting that we sing to you, we bless you, we praise you, we give thanks to you. We've already right, just talked about... Um, Jesus Christ as our uh, our sacrifice of praise, our peace. But now we have it is meet right, and why is it proper for us to sing, bless, praise, give thanks, and to worship in every place on earth? Because you are God. I mean, because you're God. <laughs> you're God. Because you're ineffable, I can't uh, inconceivable. I don't. You're beyond my understanding. I do not see you. Uh, yet you are uh, ever existing. You're immortal and eternally the same. And then now we have the uh, bringing to, into this that it's the Triune God, uh, which also gives us a clue that this prayer. Who is this prayer directed to? It's to the Father. It's to the Father. Um, you can always tell the prayers where they're directed towards because it's meet and right to call it you are God ineffable and then we say and your son and your Holy Spirit so we're giving thanks to the creator you could think if you're thinking of the creed here right the creator God uh, then we get the son and the Holy Spirit uh, who has brought us from non-existence into being our kind of fundamental position outside of well, our fundamental position, our relationship to the Creator, is the fact that without Him we wouldn't exist. I mean, it's a pretty fundamental <laughs> relationship here um, that brought us from nothingness into being. And you did that, but then we also fell back into that kind of non-existence. We fell away, but you raised us up again. So there's a reference to creation in salvation or recreation. Uh, and St. Athanasius, uh, in his work on the Incarnation, the way he talks about the fall is actually that we've kind of um, God bless you. Thank you. falling into the fall or sin is 
uh, a dissolution. It's like sinking into nothingness. Uh, while goodness and holiness and righteousness has substance to it. It's real. And so you can see here in this language, uh, this prayer, this very much, you brought us from nothing, and then when we'd fallen back into the nothing, you then yanked us back, uh, raised us up as we'd sunk into that, that pit or into that water. And did you did not cease to do all things until you brought us up to heaven. This is where you might start scratching your head, unless you're familiar with Orthodox theology. He brought us up to heaven? Are you? Are we in heaven? <laughs> no. But interesting. Brought us up to heaven, and has endowed us with your kingdom, which is to come. So we have his kingdom, and we're dwelling in heaven. What? What is being? What does this mean? took on our nature, right? He took on our nature such that he could perfect us and bring us up to heaven. Yes? Alyssa? Outside of time. Outside of time. There's an aspect here of the liturgy as being a kind of pinprick into eternity. This way some authors of the church will talk about um, that you have given us and brought us up to heaven, that we have ascended into heaven. Um... I think we, we've actually kind of said it with a, from the lift up your hearts because it said the Colossians says you were raised with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God you even have the verb raised here right set your mind on things above not on things on earth for you're hidden with Christ you have all of these kind of themes running through this prayer in fact, I just realized that. <laughs> As I was reading this, I'm like, wait, hiddenness, manifestation later on, raising. I, it's fascinating how, uh, especially if we were to look at Basil's anaphora, you could basically just get out the Pauline epistles and you're like, that phrase is from you know, Ephesians, that next like, you know, common phrase, that's from Philippians, that, and he just goes on and on and on and on. We're not going to look at Basil's tonight. Maybe Lent will will break down Basil's and Afra. You can try to hold me to that. Try. Uh, where do we get to? What What does it mean that you've endowed us with a kingdom which is to come? Has the kingdom come or has it not come? Is that's it both? Thought, is it that's both? What I thought, that's what I thought. It sort of crossed over into the Lord's into the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. I actually like that a lot. Why Why is the, like, not why is, that, that's a fascinating read into it uh, because we could do a long series just on the Our Father because the Our Father holds all of the theology of the kingdom within it. There's a reason why Jesus taught it to his disciples. Um, the kingdom comes when the will of God is done, but the kingdom is not fully come. Right? We get all of the benefits. We get access to the Father. We are basically within the church. Um, uh, in fact, we have, uh, I believe it's during the typical service that is to be read, but we don't do that here. The typical service that is to be read before pre sanctified liturgy is during Lent. You have a particular prayer that says, uh, I, In the temple, I, I am, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, so I'm messing it up. In the temple of God, basically, I, I am in heaven. Um, there's a, a definite sense that within worship, we have entered into, as we've been 
talking about to the throne room. So, but there's an element here that we're still here and have not received the fullness of the kingdom. We received the fullness of the kingdom. We just haven't lived into it. It's kind of, it's, you know what I'm getting at. <laughs> it's kind of hard to talk about it because we received all the benefits. We do commune with God. It's just we're still here on this side of things until everything is final. When God will be all in all, when everything is finished. Were you going to say no, something? Not, not Any other comments about this before we move to the next little section? For all of these things, for being created, for being saved, by being endowed uh, with the kingdom, being brought up to heaven, we give thanks to you and to your Son and to your Holy Spirit for all things of which we know and of which we know not. This is one of my favorite lines in the entire Nephra. Because it reminds us uh, just how little we actually realize what God is doing for us. That he has provided uh, us everything that we have and the things that we don't even realize that came from him, which is kind of a, an interesting conundrum since everything comes from God. Uh, whether manifest or unseen, whether we've actually been able to uh, acknowledge that it has happened to us from God. And we thank you even for this liturgy, which you have found worthy to accept at our hands. I think here we can go back and say, yes, the oblation is from is ultimately Jesus Christ with my own answer there, but it's obvious that we're offering it from our, he is accepting it from our hands. And all of this is an underlined by the fact of what we've talked about uh, in the throne room, that you've done all of these for, you've provided all of this for us, and you've even given us this liturgy. Uh, though you stand before all of the heavenly hosts, so where you get uh, a phrase like the Lord of Sabaoth means the Lord of the hosts, the angelic hosts. And then we have the kind of Sanctus, 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 the Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, this is where the priest does the ting, ting, ting. <laughs> Do you all know what, the, what that noise is, what is going on there? No, Jeff doesn't know. Excellent. I get to enlighten you. Uh, so what has already happened at the great entrance the, the chalice and the discos. The discos, you don't just have a veil over the discos straight onto the bread, right? You have what you call a star or an asterisk. Uh, in fact, the, the star is called the star because when you're doing the prayers uh, over it, you'll even see kind of iconographic depictions of this sometimes even on it. Uh, it's the, st the star uh, came and stood over where the child was. It was even the nativity uh, language. Uh, it's just the structure of it looks like a star, so it gets all these kind of interpretations wrapped around it. Um, but the star, so the veils have been taking off. During the, the singing of the creed, you see the priests are doing the air. Why are they doing that? Think really practically. If you were in flies, yep. if it wasn't that, it would be the fans. That also happens. They, they, they do that here during the creed. Um, then that gets folded up and gets put to the side. Uh, now it's just the chalice is open and it's just the asterisks. So now the next movement, because you need that off of there, is once this happens, you have the, it's kind of like a, I don't know if it's kind of a holy noise. Out of, like There's the practical element because you have all these little pieces of um, bread, commemorative bread, so you kind of need to clean them off, and that's one way to clean it off. 
So I think there's a practical reason for it, but I also think it's just one of those things that has occurred that we do. So it goes north, south, east, west. You're basically doing the sign of the cross over the gifts as you are taking it off. Ting, 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 and then you fold it and you put it to the side. That's what the ting, ting, ting is. The people then sing, Holy, Holy Lord of Sabaoth, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's saying we have here kind of nativity language in this, right? Uh, Christmas language. Because this is what the heavenly hosts sing around his birth. next prayer with these blessed powers who are the blessed powers we're going to get through the anaphora tonight so we might run over a little bit of time but who are the blessed powers just backing up I always thought that being more like Palm Sunday language it is nativity language and Palm Sunday language yes okay. the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord but then the, uh, the sound of the son of David right glory uh, and heaven on earth is nativity language Which always seemed like moving to the sacrifice and seemed like you were doing it all suddenly. Yes. Uh, the, uh, what's also interesting, um, never mind, my mind just went another direction. Yes, Palm Sunday language as well. Yes. An entrance into the sacrifice that is coming. Who are the blessed powers? Angels. Angels. Master who loves mankind, we also cry aloud and say. Holy are you, and thine only begotten Son, the Holy Spirit. Holy art thou, and all holy and magnificent is thy glory. Who has so loved the world to give thine only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who, when he had come in, had fulfilled all the dispensation for us the night in which he was given up, or rather gave himself up for the life of the world, took bread in his holy, pure, and blameless hands. And when he had given thanks and blessed it, and hallowed it and broken it, he gave it to his holy disciples and apostles, saying, What jumps out to you after the kind of the the crying aloud, where we are joining with the angelic hosts? Where it says, "Who, when he had come and had fulfilled all the dispensation for us uh-huh. on the night in which he was given up," I think that's like I think that's when he was preparing. Not before he was to die. Yes, we're we're going back to the night of the uh, the sac the betrayal, the sacrifice, mm-hmm. the uh, the last supper. We have kind of the language there of John three sixteen. Love the only you know, so love the world as give his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, and have everlasting life. What does it mean that he had come and fulfilled all the dispensation for us? Father Stephen will say, well, actually put another word there in it. He won't say dispensation. He says a different phrase. When he does the prayer. Uh-huh. You probably don't recognize. Because I, I, you're not reading along, right? You're just listening. But he, he, he doesn't say. Huh? No, he says, he says, 
plan of salvation. We need to fulfill the plan of salvation. Listen the next time he does it. I didn't notice it until like a year in, and then I started realizing like, that he doesn't say dispensation. Just like you'll see in another litany later, I don't say the word noetic, because I just don't think anybody in, in any normalcy will know what noetic means, so I don't use it. Hmm. What is the dispensation? What is a dispensation? I mean, Father Stephen kind of gives you a, good, a helpful <laughs> yeah. uh, translation there, right? When he fulfilled the plan of salvation, right? When he had done, when he came, he taught. Uh, he gathered his apostles. Uh, he prepared the way. He uh, then is now going to give himself up. Uh, the night which is he was given up, or rather gave himself up for the life of the world. It's a fascinating little, why, the, why those two things? Or, the, or, or rather. Yeah, why, like why, why the or rather? What you just said. Is he questioning what he said? Oops. Clarifying it. Well, it's both. Right? I mean, <laughs> it's he was, both. He was given up, but he could have been given up if he didn't give himself. So it's a fascinating aspect here. So who gives up the son? This whole prayer is to the father, right? Mm-hmm. So the father is giving up the son because he sent him into the world to die. But it's not that the son somehow did this just out of pure, like, okay, I'm going to do this. He did it willingly. If you hear, our hymnody underlines this a lot. He who willingly uh, went to the cross. Uh, this is he for the entire sacrifice of the cross. That he, uh, of his own accord, of his own free will, of his own love for us, went to the cross. So the or rather is a fascinating. Paul actually does this. I think it's in... Philippians, where he's saying something, and then he says, or rather, and he like kind of like shifts it and says it from a different point of view. And I, if I remember correctly, it's something along the lines of like, we are working out our salvation, or rather, God is working out salvation through you. Like, there's an aspect of like, it is true that you're working out your salvation, but it's probably truer, or like <laughs> an aspect of this that you're missing that is the key to the whole thing is that. God is working his salvation through you. So when it says in the night in which he was given up, he was given up by... I mean, I think you could spin that a lot of different ways. He's also given up by Judas. He's See, that's why I've always thought. I've, I've always... Under, well, actually, the first couple of times I heard this, just for what it's worth, which is nothing, but first couple of times I heard this in a divine liturgy, both times I thought, oh, the priest made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> why, why? Well, because he, he would say in the night in which he was given up, or, or rather gave himself up, and I thought, oh, you must have messed up the line. <laughs> if he does that every week. Uh, it took me a while to realize that is the line. But, is but, he, but, he, but I've always understood it is in the night in which he was given up by Judas, or rather, but actually, that's not true. But, but actually, what happened is he gave himself up. Right. He gave himself up. For the, for the life of the world. When but you takes, seem to be saying he was given up by the Father. So part of the reason is because the entire flow of this is about the Father and the Son's relationship. Because even this next line, took bread in his holy, pure, and blameless hands, mm -hmm. which I find to be fascinating that that's one of the things that is underlined, that his, his, he is holy, pure, and blameless in his hands and bringing up the bread. He'd given thanks and blessed it, hallowed it, and broken it, 
He gave it to his holy disciples and Paul's saying, but what does he do in the gospel accounts when he, he takes up the bread? What do you do in Jewish prayer? Well, you should know this, right? Jewish you bless prayer. the bread, you break it. Right, but who are you looking to? You're looking to the Father. Right. So he's, he's taking up this and he's giving thanks and blessing it to the Father, right? This, he looks up to heaven when he does this. It doesn't say this here, but that is in the text. That he had uh, given thanks, blessed it, hallowed it, broken it, and gave it to his holy disciples and apostles, saying, this is now where the priest and the deacon will uh, put their hand out. Actually, this little, right here, this funny <laughs> line drawing. It's not funny, but it's just, it's neat. It's cute. Uh, <laughs> Would it be better if you had a beard? It would be better if that period. You can tell what time period in the OCA it was probably made. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know the priest that did this. He just uh, We've actually been praying for him because he died a few months ago. He was a good man. Um, but you can see where the priest, and I don't know always if you can see this, but the priest is with his own hand saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken through, pointing to the gifts. This is my body, which is broken for you for the mission of sins. Amen. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you and for many for the mission of sins. Amen. This is language of Scripture. We could spend uh, we could spend an entire twelve class sessions on just unpacking all of this section. We don't have time to do that, obviously. But um, this is a, another fascinating part of one of my. If, probably actually my most favorite instead of the or rather but uh, the priest says remembering the saving commandment and all those things which have come to pass for us the cross, the tomb, the resurrection on the third day the ascension into heaven, the sitting at the right hand and the second and glorious coming so what doesn't make sense about this paragraph? remembering the second you remembering the second coming, has the second coming occurred? not in Kronos not in Kronos. <laughs> Unpack that one for us. What does it mean, not in Kronos? Well, that it, it, ha it has in Kairos. And I, I, I should have kept I my mouth shut because now words. I really got into it. Huh? Unpack the Greek words. I, well, I, you said you only knew five Greek words earlier today to me. You know, I, I just gave you two of them. Uh, <laughs> I just gave you, and and I, I know the words that it doesn't say I knew what they meant, Father. I just said I knew five Greek words. No, no Kronos is our time. Chronos is the world's time. Chronos is that's where we get chronological. It's TikTok, right. you know. Okay, like and Kairos, Kairos is, is 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 divine time. It's God's kingdom time. time. Kingdom time, yeah. which actually isn't time at all. I think that might be the key right there. That it's not time at all. What would that mean? That it's not time at all. It means it's utterly transcendent. It's uh -huh. it's. Holistic. Holistic as in like encompassing our, yeah. like the, it's the, the past, present, and future. Oh, how king yeah. come from the spirit of yeah. part. But when you, when, when, when it's the past, present, and future all at the same time, which that means there's no past, present, and future because it's all the same. So there's nothing to distinguish anything from anything else compared to. So the second else. glorious coming has already come to pass for us? In, 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 Not with that in, attitude. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Well, it, it has it has in Kairos because in Kairos everything has happened because no, but of course I, nothing I, has happened but everything's happened. I think some of the key here uh, is if you go back earlier in Manafra where we were sticking to this question of like have we received heaven? Like, uh, are have we fully received the kingdom? Um, this seems to uh, assert actually that we have fully received the kingdom. I read something that this is heaven right now. The church? Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, the church being not necessarily, well, how should I say this? God dwelling with us. Uh, that God reveals himself and uh, dwells with us, brings us into communion, and therefore, uh, in a certain sense, um, I wouldn't say even a certain sense, we, we're all basically, if you're Orthodox, completely fine, well, should be, with <laughs> confessing that what is happening and the, these, um, the movement that will happen right after this, the blessing, is that we are going to receive the body of blood, truly the body and blood of Christ. This is the body and blood, the body that was beaten, the blood that was shed on Golgotha. We're also receiving the resurrected, the same flesh resurrected, that we're also receiving not like the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, but also the sacrificial lamb that's been raised from the dead. So I also say, in a sense, we are going to receive the second coming because we're actually receiving a second, a, a mini second coming of Jesus Christ coming to us in the res, in resurrected form through the body and the blood. Does this tell you the amnesis? An amnesis? Yes, the remembrance. Uh, we can cover. Well, that. I was Go ahead. Well, I, 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 I was taught it's often translated as the remembrance, but but it's remembrance in a very special sense. In, right. In, in that the in that the 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 Eucharist that that we participate in is actually the self same Eucharist. It's not a different Eucharist. It's, right. It's, it's like what happens with with um, uh, for. The remembrance of the Passover in Jewish circles yeah, is yeah. that when you are actually having that right, uh, you are the ones who are in Egypt and the ones who are being liberated from Egypt. It's not a sense that you are somehow separated from the actual act, but you are participating in the original act. And so the Eucharist uh, for Christians is where we are participating in the same night in which, I mean, we that night in which he gave himself up through that entire uh, offering that he gives. Uh, the same Eucharist that he fed the apostles is the same Eucharist that we receive. Um, thine own of thine own, of course it would go off, that the computer would go off. Thine own of thine own, what happens at this saying, thine own of thine own we offer unto thee in behalf of all and for all. So the priest takes the discos and the chalice and forces the deacon was there and elevates them. Uh, this is also to come back to the footnote. Uh, thine own of thine own we offer unto thee on behalf of all and for all. What do we have to offer God? Only what he's given us. Only what he's given us. We offer unto him everything uh, that he has given us, which is everything. 
And we do it not for ourselves, or just for ourselves, but on behalf of all and for all, we offer. Who is this all? Is there, is, there, is there limitations to the all? To the sacrifice? I would say it's, yes, it's for all of creation. The sacrifice is for all of creation. Is, is all of, I would say, you know, this is not a question of whether or not the sacrifice is for all of creation. It will always be a question of what of uh, humanity receives this sacrifice and uh, turns it into this position where they can be able to give offer thanks for being created, being saved, to be able to offer what God has offered. We praise you, we bless you, we give thanks unto you, O Lord, and we pray unto thee. And we have, that's the thy note of thy known. And this is one, one of my, okay, maybe this is number one. I keep going back and forth. This is there, the uh, epiclesis. This is the consecration of the gifts. This is now going back to where I was saying the Trinitarian structure of uh, the anaphora comes through very clearly. You got the beginning uh, prayer. Um, I want to say mostly addressed addressed to the Father, but even kind of content-wise, uh, with all about the Father. Then you have this whole section about uh, Christ and His offering, and now we come to. Again, we offer to you this reasonable and bloodless worship. Um, why is it bloodless worship? Because we're not sacrificing animals. Because we're not sacrificing animals, and the altar itself is not that's not a bloodied sacrifice because it is a uh, how should I say this? It, uh, we are not shedding blood again in the offering of the Eucharist. It is blood that has already been shed. We ask you and pray thee and supplicate thee, send down thy Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts here offered. The Holy Spirit now is descending to transform the gifts into the gifts. I always, and I think I've been hitting on this in sermons and talks recently, about the Holy Spirit descending upon us, that we are, and our role in all of this, uh, we are to be, as Hofka would actually push pretty um, hard, that to receive the body of blood that is sacrificed on the altar is for ourselves to also be broken and crucified and conform to his image, and the Holy Spirit descend upon us and transform us into the body of Christ. Uh, as much as it is the gifts that are on the altar that we receive what we are becoming. Then we have the... Well, St. Paul says we're the body of Christ. Yes. A lot of times what happens is the focus uh, can turn to the gifts as a kind of, uh, almost like magic, uh, that if I go and receive, this is to deny the potency or the power of communion, but it's almost as if it's something that happens outside of me instead of something that I'm intimately engaged with and that happens because of the context and the relationship that I have in Jesus Christ and my own spiritual struggle and um, blessing from God, uh, spiritual growth and all of this that I'm being fed 
by the one who is um, forming me, who is conforming me to the image of Christ. Yeah. I, I, Instead of something, some kind of thing that's magic that you take that you then get immortal. Like we talk about the medicine and immortality in St. Ignatius of Antioch, and you can almost get a mentality of like, in whatever situation I'm in, if I just take the communion, that just fixes everything. But it's not really, it doesn't really work. It's not magic. It's a, it's a whole synergy and working with God through all of that. Does that make sense? I, was, I guess I was taught some very Pauline ideas about this from Marion and in in, in my teacher in the Catholic Church because she talked about that, the, you know, Paul says that the church is the body of Christ. Paul talks about, you know, I live no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. So, uh-huh. so she talked to me about, so, so when you're doing this, when you talk about the precious body of Christ, it, it, it's, it's you, it's Christ, but it's also you. It's also... It's all mixed together. It's, yeah, Augustine it's all, and the early fathers, it's that way. We're all in union. We're in common union. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then the prayer comes to make the bread the precious body of your Christ, <coughs> which is in the cup the precious blood of your Christ, making a change by the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Um, then we have the prayer of the priest that they may be to those who partake for the purification of soul, for the remission of sins, for the communion of the Holy Spirit, for the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven. We've been talking about the kingdom and the, full, the presence of the kingdom of heaven. For boldness towards thee. What would it mean for boldness towards thee? <laughs> well, we'll say actually as this next litany... Uh, what do we say before we say the Our Father? Call me Father. Yes, but we say. Uh, no, I was saying that. Say that a little bit. The boldness is to call. To call God upon Father. God as Father, right? So we get the boldness to do this, not for judgment or condemnation. This is again echoing the language of Paul in First Corinthians to discern the body and blood of Christ as to us do not to take it to judgment or condemnation um, we then have again we offer unto thee this reasonable worship for those who have fallen asleep in the faith ancestors, fathers, patriarchs prophets, apostles, preachers, evangelists martyrs, confessors, ascetics and every righteous spirit made perfect in faith especially for our most holy, most pure most blessed and glorious Lady of the Otopos and Virgin Mary then we have the appropriate Marian hymn that is sung here why, this will be the last uh, section and we'll have to pick up after this. Why um, this section? Again, we often do this reason worship for those who have fallen asleep in the faith. Why is this section, why are we remembering the dead here? Because it's on behalf of all and for all. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's on behalf of all and for all. Remember where we were tracing the Old Testament and then we took a kind of side glance once we finish the little entrance where we're doing the hymns for the, the saints um, we talked about, use the book of Revelation to talk about the throne room of God and those who are gathered around the throne room, uh, the throne of God are the elders, uh, the saved hosts, the martyrs who cry out uh, for justice from underneath the altar uh, so here we have the, the Eucharist the offering of Christ uh, is also, it's the same act, the same uh, worship, the same oblation that is for everyone who has 
uh, come before us as well. So then we have a long list of those who have been saved before us. It is the communion of the saints. Isn't it? it is the communion of the saints. In the Roman canon, they would have this is where you'd have the commemorations. You do not hear. We'll just finish uh, this part because this is done as the text says here silently. For the holy prophet, for and Baptist John. So we have all of those uh, commemorated, especially for the most holy Theotokos. For the holy prophet, for and Baptist John. The holy glorious and honorable apostles. Whoever the saint is commemorated that day. All thy saint whose supplication look down upon us, O God. Remember all those who have fallen asleep before us in the hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Especially, this is where we remember all those uh, that have uh, died. Grant them rest, O God, where the light of thy countenance shines on them. And get away and treat thee. So, what do you notice in the structure of this prayer now? And get away and treat thee. Uh, so, what, who do we remember? We remember the saints. Then remember those who have died. Then remember the Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Episcopate, priests, deacons, and any clergy. And then we offer it for the whole world, the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church, for all those who live in chastity and holiness of life, for all civil authorities. What is this sound structure-wise like? We're opening litany. The litany! <laughs> mm. It's the same, uh, very similar hierarchy going on here. Kind of an inversion coming backwards from the uh, those who are dead, and then you go back to the beginning uh, with the, the metropolitan, the, the bishops, uh, etc. Then you have out loud that we remember our beatitude of the archbishop. And then respond that we remember all mankind. There's the Teotokos with everybody. That's, that nun sticks out a lot with that fly. She does, but she's dark. And then this is also not a section that you'll remember because you don't hear it read out loud. Then after we commemorate all those, we then commemorate those who are living. Remember, O Lord, the city in which we dwell, every city and country, those who with faith dwell in them. Remember, O Lord, travelers by land, by sea, and by air, the sick and suffering captives in their salvation. Remember, O Lord, Lord, those who bring offerings and do good in thy holy churches, those who remember the poor, and upon us all send forth thy mercies. And grant them with one mouth and one heart we may praise thine all honorable majestic name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The anaphora, basically, the mercies of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, be with you all and with your spirit. We start with Jesus Christ as the, uh, the Trinitarian blessing of our lifting up our hearts, and we end the anaphora after the consecration with the commemoration of all those uh, who have gone forth in the faith, the Theotokos, the saints, those who have died before us, uh, hierarchy, those for the entire world, and then we end with Jesus Christ and his mercies uh, being with all of us.